Hello and welcome to the MBA Talk podcast. I'm your host, Andres, and I work for Opnis, an institute that fosters social and economic development through the promotion of the best management methodologies. Have you already tasted any of those burgers with plant-based meats? I'm talking about uh, Impossible Burger or Beyond Meat brands. In this packed episode, we are joined by J. Morgan Kai. He's an UCLA Anderson graduate from 2016. Morgan is the founder and CEO of Sprouted Ventures, a consulting agency focused on helping emerging food tech brands find funding, scale revenues, and enter markets. Keep listening to learn about this fascinating new food market. Listen to Morgan's insider tips and warnings for new entrants. And see if you share Morgan's approach to entrepreneurship as a way to spread sustainability in the industry. So Morgan, where are you located today? Where are you from? And how do you present yourself? Sure. So uh, my name is Morgan Keim. I'm the CEO of Sprouted Ventures, an early stage uh, go-to-market strategy firm for plant-based meat and dairy based in Los Angeles, California. Um, I actually live in Santa Monica by the beach. I've been here for about 10 years and originally grew up on the East Coast. So I followed the sunshine uh, from (laughs) basically to to warmer pastures out here. Okay. We'll talk more about the path that led you to the West Coast in a minute. But first, I would like to ask you, do you have any favorite resource for entrepreneurs, like uh, a website you like to follow, a podcast, a TV show, YouTube channel, a book maybe? Yeah, I have several that I like to follow. Um, my niche is in food entrepreneurship, uh, specifically in marketing, sales, and business development. So I find that the resources that most resonate with me are podcasts usually. I, I love the show How I Built This, uh, the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of books, I like Zero to One a lot by Peter Thiel. Mm-hmm. And given my my day to day role is you know essentially as a consultant, there are some some great consulting resources for you know people who are trying to really make make their own you know script their own destiny as independent consultants. One of them is called The Trusted Advisor. That helped me out a lot. Another one, another book is called Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. Both of those have been pretty incremental into understanding how to bring value to clients and especially for how difficult you know, independent consulting can really be because you have to make your own relationships. You have to go close your own clients. You're never guaranteed that you're going to get payment from anybody. Um, you know, so very much it's about finding ways to efficiently and effectively create value for other people, uh, which isn't necessarily always taught in the MBA curriculum. So I turn to lots of different outside sources to help understand other ways of creating value. Very interesting. But you weren't always uh, an independent consultant, right? No, my background is in uh, digital marketing, and I've also created uh, various ventures since before my MBA. 
my first company that I created uh, was right out of college. Um, I really wanted to align with my values around health and sustainability. And so I created a consultancy helping basically digitize, you know, messaging and, and helping to do digital marketing for companies across a, a wide range of sustainability industries. So this was everything from solar and wind, clean tech projects to consumer goods that were better for the planet. Now keep in mind this was the, you know, the late 2000s, so it was a lot more novel of a concept, but I realized that ultimately I needed to follow the path and get bigger and better experience before I could really serve, you know, the highest degree of, of clients and uh, bring the highest degree of value, which is what brought me into digital marketing and, and working uh, specifically at, at uh, agencies out on the West Coast with clients like Honda, Acura, and Game of Thrones or HBO. Mm -hmm. So you had already some entrepreneurial experience before your MBA, right? Yeah, I'm one of the crazy ones. Um, <laughs> that's right. But uh, okay, but anyway, you, you work for a company like an employee, right? Before yes. your MBA. And uh, it was in marketing. Why, why you choose to do an MBA at that point? So I've always known that I wanted my career to be in using business and market-driven forces to empower sustainability, to progress environmental sustainability. So for me, that was why I went back to get my MBA. Um, ultimately, I had great experience from my marketing roles, and I was very good at what I did, yet I didn't understand how to have that holistic picture of really evaluating you know, uh, business opportunities outside of my realm of expertise. I also didn't have as strong of a network outside of marketing and advertising. So one of the big benefits for me in going to get my MBA was in being able to network and align with different people who were, you know, working within sustainability and uh, social responsibility, you know, through the UCLA Anderson network. What it took for me, though, was to ultimately focus and decide, you know, what within sustainability do I really want to focus on? And so that's, that's how I ended up uh, narrowing in on food, which is my, you know, my current industry and has been for many years, and, and realizing that to tackle the problem of, you know, of really bringing better forces, better products that are more environmentally sustainable to people. Um, it's too broad to just say you can do that. And so a little bit of specialization, um, you know, can really help to maximize your impact. So I picked what was one of the most environmentally, you know, degrading industries, which is animal-based farming. You know, it takes 1,500 gallons of water to have one pound of beef. That's 30 days of your showers wow. to have a couple burgers. When you look at stats like that, it's almost hard to believe. And so when I think from my entrepreneurial lens about solving problems, I don't want to solve a problem that many people are out there trying to solve. I want to solve the biggest problem I can think of. To me right now, that's the biggest problem I can think of. And going 10 times bigger or 100 times bigger 
is not 10 times harder or 100 times harder. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about your last uh, phrase. It's not 10 times harder. Why is not? So if you look at a commodity, right? If you want to bring a commodity to market, it's not different than anything else. You're going to have so much competition that it's going to be hard for you to stand out. If you're trying to solve a problem that there are not solutions for, or at least not any good ones, then by focusing, even doing a, a, an okay job at something that solves a major problem that doesn't have any solutions is better than doing a great job trying to bring a commodity to market because you have hundreds of other people trying to compete with you to do the same thing. Right. So even if it's different, even if your path or your focus of problem solving, you know, even if you're focused on a problem that is exponentially massive, like environmental sustainability or removing animals from the supply chain, which is in my case, then you still have less competition because you don't have as many people thinking that big. You do have a lot of people saying, I want to bring the next app to market or the next salty snack to market. And that's what they know. And that's fine. A lot of people will stick to what they know. But by being deliberate and focusing on creating exponential value, in my experience, I haven't found it to be exponential harder. Business is hard, plain and simple, but it's not exponentially harder if you go exponentially bigger. Okay, okay. This is a question I wanted to make you later, but uh, so what are the biggest opportunities in this industry for startups? I mean, one you mentioned is this one about not trying to compete with the rest of the, as a commodity, right? Mm -hmm. If you position differently, you can leverage this fact. What other opportunities you see for startups in the sustainable food industry, let's say? Well, so, you know, from a high level, just looking at what are the biggest problems, those are our greatest opportunities. If you can solve a problem that one billion people will pay you a dollar to solve, you're a billionaire. So when you can silo that down, you know, looking at sustainability, Our energy system is screwed up. Our food system and agriculture system is screwed up. Our fashion is extremely polluting. Yet there is a new class of evolved consumer that puts value on transparent and sustainable companies. So by being open in your business practice and trying to make things better than what exists, that are more sustainable, that are better for animals, that are better for the planet, then you've already helped to differentiate yourself from the competition because you've created superior value for your consumer. And that's a value that they will pay for. When it comes to my specific industry, we're seeing unparalleled growth in plant-based meat and plant-based dairy. Right now, It's like consumers have all of a sudden woken up and they've seen that they can have milk or they can have an impossible burger or a beyond burger, a, a plant-based meat burger that tastes, looks, and feels just like its animal-based counterpart, but it has no animal in it whatsoever. It's made 100% of plants. So 
my focus right now, the opportunity that I am after, and what I do on behalf of all of the clients that my group, Sprout Adventures, works with, is helping to position plant-based foods, different vegan foods, for consumers like you and me who maybe eat a little meat or drink a little milk or whatever animal products we might consume, making it normal for those consumers to have these options readily available at a restaurant near them or at a grocery store near, near, near them and ultimately creating that consumer demand. Very cool. Yeah, I'm thinking about, are you vegan or vegetarian? I am 95% plant-based. The only time I won't eat plants is when I'm traveling and there's, not, there's nothing else on the menu that is healthy and nutritious. Cool. Yeah, me too. I think, uh, yeah, as you said, our generation is much more aware of the food and where it comes from and the impact it has on the environment, right? Well, and, and you're, you're especially in an interesting market, Andre, because Brazil, um, there are 60 million consumers that identify as being plant-based, yet you know firsthand about the lack of options, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. That's a huge growth market with latent consumer demand where very few entrepreneurs have brought anything to market yet. The first few companies to do that and to do it well will have handsome market growth because they'll simply be the first to market. That's how you can beat the competition out is by leading the demand of what's working in other places, bringing it to your localized market with localized knowledge. That's, a, that's another tremendous opportunity in this space. That's a great advice for, for MBAs that want to get into entrepreneurship, right? Well, absolutely. And, and frankly, with so many international MBAs, there's such value to the lens that they carry from their region. America is not the center of the universe. Right. <laughs> as, as much as people may believe that in the, in the States, there's so much export value of the innovation that's happening here into other locations and there's a lot less competition so it's really a great breeding ground for innovation right right so uh getting back to mba to the school did you know already you wanted to become an entrepreneur back in school have you followed any entrepreneurship course or were you involved in clubs um all of the above i knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and focus on this full time, but I didn't have the confidence to do it for a long period of time as my only source of income prior to getting my MBA. I educated myself on the risks, on the entrepreneurial mindset, and ultimately what I was going to be getting into uh, by being a part of UCLA's Entrepreneur Association by also being a part of Net Impact, the Social Impact Club there, um, but also by starting my own clubs. I helped to start a supper club within uh, our 360-person MBA cohort where we would have one person, usually somebody international, uh, cook many dishes from their home country, host a group of 12 people to 15 people in their homes and 
it became a weekly social event for my section. It gained a lot of popularity. Um, we had about 20 of these dinners and it was so popular that it spread to other sections to the point when uh, I think they still do this in the program. So by creating the entrepreneurial roadmap within business school, I actually gained confidence in what I do today. Additionally, classes really helped. There was one in particular from a teacher called Derek Alderton, who taught uh, an entrepreneur venture initiation course. And it's one of those courses where if you're not fully prepared, you'll get called on for something and your heart will skip a beat. He's not an easy grader. He's not an easy teacher, but it's just the kind of course that will make you really realize the risks and the drive that it takes to be an entrepreneur outside of the MBA classroom. Well, uh, two points. First, I am half Italian. I lived in Italy and uh, because of that, I, I became a foodie, you know. <laughs> I, I envy you about uh, starting up this club. <laughs> Do you remind any special dish a colleague from you did? We had um, one of my favorites was from a Korean classmate who made, oh, I don't even remember what they were called. It was just a full spread of every, just about everything you could find in a Korean market. That was a pretty interesting one. We had a, uh, a vegetarian Brazilian meal uh, where I believe she made feijoada. It was really, really good. And uh, God, I'm trying to remember what else. One of our Japanese classmates made a full spread of sushi for one of these. Ultimately, it was all about sharing in international flavors. Right. <laughs> And uh, about your professor, the, the course, uh, what, what was the name of the professor again? Sorry. Derek Alderton, so D-E-R-E-K-A-L-D-E-R-T-O-N. Mm -hmm. And the class was called Entrepreneurial Venture Initiation, or EVI for short. How was the course structured? Uh, we would have cases and essentially we would have to put ourselves in between roles of being either the entrepreneur who was pitching venture capitalists or pitching business channels to try to close a deal, or we would actually have to pretend to be the venture capitalists and assess deals. Like for instance, I remember my favorite one, we dissected the Zipcar uh, startup case and we had to pretend to be the venture capitalist. And so we would review the Zipcar you know, case and then present to the board of the fictitious venture capital company where we worked whether or not we would invest in this. And unanimously, the class voted not to invest in the company because hmm. The financials weren't good. There, was, there were growth concerns. There were operational concerns. I mean, it was like everything that seemed like it could have gone wrong could have gone wrong at that company. And yet now we know it as a successful startup. And so it really teaches you, you know, there, there are lots of ways to look at creative problem solving, but by putting yourself in another person's shoes, you know, by your key stakeholder, your key customer's shoes, 
uh, you know, it can it can really help you see a different perspective that maybe you didn't see before. Very interesting. The Zipcar, you mean the car sharing company, right? Yeah, the car sharing company. Mm -hmm. Cool. But uh, okay, you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur, but uh, after the MBA, you went to work for a company. Yeah. So I so I had had an internship during the MBA. Uh, at a company called Impossible Foods. And uh, this has now emerged to be, you know, a large plant-based meat food tech company with, I believe, over $400 million in venture capital money. But at the time, it was pretty much unheard of when I joined the company to help them with their growth and marketing. And that experience led me to realize that if I want to make a shift into food, from digital marketing, I needed to learn more about that industry and really understand how decisions got made, how, how products got made, and that sort of thing. So after Anderson, I worked for about one year at a company that was well-established in the industry, yet allowed me to be the marketing director of several different product lines uh, to, to understand how the forces work in food and how I could make a difference as an entrepreneur uh, when, I, when I did decide to spin out my company. Mm -hmm. What are the differences in this industry compared with uh, your previous experience? You know, it's an interesting question. Um, my previous experiences in digital marketing were such that I would work with clients and companies to help them launch digital experiences, which can be changed at any time. Uh, they're, you know, they're online. We can take them down if we need to. Um, in the food industry, once you send out your packaging, once you send out your product, unless you issue a recall, it's not coming back. <laughs> hmm. So there's a, there's a trailing feedback loop and a trailing, um, set of customer understanding that makes it a lot more difficult to gauge how your product is doing in the market, what people really think, you know, that sort of thing. And also just simply working in material goods as opposed to, you know, digital marketing has its own set of, you know, inherent differences in the tangibility of, of a product. Right. Okay, but then after working for this company, which is called Natierra Superfoods, yeah. you still wanted to build your company, right? You didn't want to stay there for, for longer. Ultimately, my heart was set on staying in the plant-based meat and dairy industry and driving the growth within this industry. As I mentioned, it's the single biggest source of environmental impact I've identified for myself. And by starting my company, Sprout Adventures, this gave me the ability to work with several different clients and maximize the amount of impact I could have on the environmental legacy that I care so much about. Right. How the business model works? So we embed as members of an early startup team for existing food tech startups and we help them to build, launch, and scale their brands. Some of these companies are just getting started. 
So we'll help them figure out their product market fit, set up their marketing, sales, and fundraise plans, and then guide them through the execution of those plans. Whereas other companies are in the market already selling, and we will help them turn on the jet boosters and rapidly scale and accelerate their revenues. We'll work with companies up to about $10 million in sales and ultimately help them tap into the mainstream consumer market for their vegan products. So rather than just putting food out in the sections, like the frozen section where vegans and vegetarians might shop, we specialize in figuring out how to tap into the mainstream market and position products for meat and dairy consumers that give better environmental, animal welfare, and health benefits to those consumers. Cool. How, how you got your first uh, customer? It was hard. It took a lot of networking. Consulting is a relationship business. And when you're just starting out, you're relatively new in building relationships, uh, unless you've worked in the industry for many years. When I just started, I had about two years experience in the industry, so not a whole lot. So for me, I had to make a large upfront capital investment in myself, which felt very uncomfortable. I am conditioned as an MBA to think in terms of ROI. You spend X amount and you get Y amount, and hopefully that Y amount is far greater than X. Yet when it came to spending money on myself to go through personal consulting training, to buy a conference ticket at $2,000 a pop, to get onto a flight and fly to New York for a cold intro meeting with a buyer at Whole Foods, those kinds of things were hurdles that I had to face when I was first starting my journey, but ultimately helped me to develop the relationships and the network that I have today that guides our growth. Hmm. That's touching myself because I'm facing it uh, as well as, a, as an early partner of Opness, our company. Right. Yeah, I, I, I need to network. I feel the need to network as well. And mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's difficult to make this decision, right? To invest in ourselves with, because it's, we are new to this and, um, It's difficult. You don't have the experience, right? You don't. You never did this before, or, or maybe you did, but it was not intentional. And uh, yes, you you don't know if the money will come back uh, eventually, right? Exactly. It's a total blind leap of faith, and you just have to hope that you're putting your best foot forward and taking imperfect action can ultimately teach you the lessons you need to learn through successes or usually failures in ultimately going to those next levels of growth in your entrepreneurial journey. Cool, cool. So, okay, uh, if you had a chance to go back, would you have done the MBA again? Absolutely. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. Nice. So uh, what, what do you think about those people that say that business school is a waste of money? For entrepreneurs, especially. You know, it's business school is what you make it. I find that I rely on the UCLA Anderson network for 
so much of my success in my day-to-day roles. For instance, I reached out to the alumni database two days ago, sent an email for a client project that I'm working on, and more than a dozen alumni who work in that specific industry uh, volunteered themselves to speak with me so I could learn more about it. The mantra of UCLA Anderson is shared success, and it couldn't be more true in how that effect comes back today. So in my own entrepreneurial journey, I need collaborative people around to help, help me, and I offer myself to the network for anything that it might need. For people who say business school maybe isn't worth it for an entrepreneur, I trust that they have a very different lens on how they do business. But for me, I focus on business as being people first. And given my business school network, I couldn't think of a better competitive advantage or a better benefit in the marketplace than my business school experience. Hmm, Very interesting. Okay, so um, we talked about the opportunities for startups in the food industry. Is there any threat for startups in this industry? Um, are you asking what are the threats in the food industry? Yeah, or in the specifically in the sustainable food industry. Yeah, there are absolutely threats. Um, I mean, I imagine you work with with this threat, uh, minimizing these threats, right? Yeah, I mean that's you know part of our focus is eliminating risk. You know, the other part is maximizing upside gain. Um, you know, there are always issues pertaining to food safety. What if somebody gets sick? They could sue your entire company. There are issues that have to do with competition, obviously. Some food products are not the hardest things in the world to start. So it comes back to that that thing I said about, you know, going 10x bigger or 100x bigger. If you're starting a food company and you have a new salty snack, you have to compete with so many other salty snacks, that's nothing but risk. Even if you just start a new food company and you have an entirely new ingredient that you source from some random part of the globe, the minute your company becomes successful or shows that people like your ingredient, other people will, will go and copy that. And then you become, you have to play defense all the time. So those are, those are huge risks in having to fight off the constant threat of competition. At the same time, you can insulate against those risks and focus on protecting your brand, embedding some sort of IP, intellectual property, or other sorts of trade secrets and defensibility within your brand's fabric to decrease the chance that you can get copied easily. But it's a very competitive industry regardless. Hmm. Very interesting uh, insights. Uh, I, I know you were, it was difficult to meet with you because last week you were in a, in a fair, right? Yeah, at uh, the Natural Products Expo West in Anaheim, California. Do you see any, any trends? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a major shift happening in the industry. Um, it's driven by consumers and 
when we look at natural products in general, people want cleaner and healthier products. They want less sugar. They want less salt in their products. And then there are lots of dietary trends happening. Paleo and keto is very much alive. CBD is finding its way into just about everything here in the States. And so that trend was very apparent. Um, within my space for plant-based meat and plant-based dairy, we saw lots of brands making their products healthier. So rather than just being something, uh, a plant-based milk that replicates dairy, the mouthfeel, the texture, the taste, companies are now starting to focus on the nutritional components of dairy and actually ensuring that there, are, there is enough protein and other things like that. But overall, even just for, for natural products, entrepreneurs in general, there's never been a better time to be in the industry. Don't let all the competition fool you. The growth is there for niches. And you know the saying, and the niches are the riches. Um, so really focusing in on things, on products that deliver unparalleled value that does not yet exist in the market, that seems to be the winning formula to unlock venture capital and distribution and sales from, from the large companies. Interesting. Okay, so <laughs> any parting thoughts now for aspiring entrepreneurs? Yeah, um, my only thoughts are just to share. It's like Nike's slogan, just do it. So many people talk about entrepreneurship and never do a thing about it. Hmm. And I honestly think that the worst thing, <laughs> one of the worst things you can do is take a class on entrepreneurship and think you are an entrepreneur because it's so different. Those classes can teach you some of the skills that you might rely on, but at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur comes down to persistence, passion, and the ability to constantly act, to constantly do, to constantly try, and to learn from what happens, even when most of those things, most of those results that you get might be failures or not what you're expecting. It is singularly the only way to grow a company is by doing and by trying. So when people talk about wanting to do entrepreneurship, it carries a totally different weight than the people who actually jump in head first and say, look, I'm, gonna give, I'm, I'm actually going to try to do this. I'm going to give it my all. And that's what you're experiencing, Andres. Like this is, this is it you're living in the thick of this. You know that this is important. And even if you're trying to work on your model for the Opness Institute or figuring out what your focus is or figuring out how you're going to monetize it, there's no way you could do this without trying. So that's the part that matters. But you'll figure it out if you keep trying. You'll learn if you keep trying. So people that talk about it that don't try, that's where you lose the entrepreneurial ability and nothing actually happens. Morgan, this was uh, very inspiring. It was uh, very interesting as well. I mean, your industry is very interesting. Uh, a lot of things are going on. Uh, where people can, can reach you? Um, best place is probably either LinkedIn. My handle is, you know, linkedin.com slash in slash Sprout Adventures. 
Um, my website is www.sproutedventures.com. Or if anybody wants to send me an email, um, it's just morgan at sproutedventures.com. And I'd be happy to talk with aspiring entrepreneurs and people looking into the space. Cool. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time for this. Anyway, well, happy, to, happy we did that. Thank you so much for setting it up on this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining for this episode of the MBA Talk podcast, a podcast brought to you by Opnis Institute. You can find all notes for this episode, as well as subscribe for future episodes at opnis.com slash MBA Talk. That's opt.com slash MBA Talk. And if you are enjoying the show or have any comments, topics, or guest suggestions, I'd love if you shoot me an email. My name is Andres, and you can write me to mbatalk at opnes.com. With that, thank you, and we'll see you in the next episode.